0: John chapter 17 and verse number 1 says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Not long after my family started going to church when I was little, um, I remember sitting in the back pew with my cousins and we were just flipping through their Bibles getting ready for the church services to start, and um, she pointed out in her Bible, she found a page where it was almost all red, all the letters were red, and so we all started flipping through the Bibles, and I remember I found one where both both sides were red, and uh, so we was all excited to what we found there, didn't know what it meant, Uh, didn't know what the significance was, but... But we did find that difference. Look here, all these words are read on both these pages. This must be a particular, a particularly special part of the Bible. Well, all of the Bible is God's Word from beginning to end. All of it is inspired of God. All of it is God-breathed to us. But the passages that we found that were all read on both pages were here in this section. And this is indeed a blessed portion of Scripture. I didn't know it at the time, but I had found pages, a very blessed portion of God's Word. Here in John chapter 17, we begin a new section in this discourse. Prior to the previous chapters, that we've been looking for quite some time now, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his death. He washed their feet. He told them uh, many things about his uh, departure. He told them what was waiting for them. He told them what was coming after he leaves, and it was beneficial that he leaves, that, he, that they had life in him and the Comforter would come. He tells them finally in the end of the last chapter In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. But John chapter 17 turns. The corner here, and Jesus no longer is speaking to his disciples. but begins to pray. <laughs> so we leave Jesus preaching to the disciples and begins to pray. And first, he prays for himself in the first part of this prayer. Then he prays for his disciples. And the the wonderful thing about this prayer is he doesn't just pray for the eleven who were there, which he does. He prays for us towards the end. At the end of this chapter, Jesus prays for you and I, all of his people, including us. So this prayer stretches forth from from Jerusalem all the way to Clay, West Virginia. The Lord Jesus prays for all of his people at the end of this. It is a blessed portion of Scripture. I thought the portion was special because all the letters were read, but God's people who know the truth of his words knew it was special because their Lord and Savior prayed and prayed for them. I was reading that uh, John Knox, as he was dying, had had someone read to him John 17 over and over again. And he left this world hearing how his Savior uh, prayed for him. It's a particularly blessed portion of Scripture for God's people. We... Come and listen to Jesus pray. It's going back to whenever I was a young fellow. I remember whenever uh, Brother Hobbs asked me to pray for the first time. I was scared to death. I, I was a nervous wreck to have to pray in front of people and people are going to be listening to me. Uh, I wasn't afraid to pray at home. I wasn't afraid to pray. When nobody was listening, but boy, I, was, I was nervous to have other people listen to me. Well, Jesus had no fear of other people listening to him. People had no fear, or he had no fear of what he was going to say. It was just as natural for the Lord Jesus to pray into his Father as to talk to the disciples. And in this, we hear his prayer. It wasn't a stifled, formal speech giving. He didn't write His prayer out and, and, and take it and, and read it word for word so the disciples could hear. It was, it was no formal speech, no vain repetition, but it was a free and open prayer of the Son to His Father. And we can come in and listen to Him pray. He, he allows us to hear Him, but he, but this was His prayer, His priestly prayer, for us, for himself, for the disciples, and and, and even for us. Uh, and we get to hear this and learn from it and be blessed by it. So it is a blessed portion of Scripture. John Brown says, The best sermon that was ever preached in our world followed by the best prayer that was ever offered up in it. May I ask somebody who the best preacher is. And they'll say, well, this person over here has got thousands of people following him, and this person over here has got a church building that's you know five acres, <laughs> a big campus. This person has radio programs, and this person has books and all these great things. Um, I've, I've heard people and seen people share sermons. Oh, you have to listen to this sermon. You have to listen to this man preach this sermon. It's the best sermon ever preached on this subject, and on and on. Jesus preaches this great sermon to 11 men in the upper room where nobody was paying. All the stuff going on in Jerusalem that night, people doing all sorts of things, the best sermon ever preached. is um, preached to 11 men in the upper room. And the best prayer, as John Brown said there, was heard by these 11 people. It's hard to say how many wonderful, great sermons have been preached when just a handful of people heard them. That wasn't the point, was it? The point was that God was glorified and God was honored. He went on to say it's scarcely necessary to say the sermon contained in the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters of John's Gospel, and this prayer in the 17th chapter of the same Gospel is one of, of great power. He went on to say the Gospel of the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John is without doubt the most remarkable portion in the most remarkable book in the world. These contain wonderful passages, but none more than this none so wonderful. It is the utterance of the mind and heart of God in the very crisis of the God man's undertaking, the immediate project of completing the sacrifice of himself. It is the prayer of the man who, whose work which had been given him to do for the accomplishment for which he had become incarnate. It is the utterance of these to the Father who had sent him. Jesus said the hour has come. This is what he came for. Not just what he came to Jerusalem for, but what he came to this world for. This is why he left the glories of heaven and became flesh and dwelt among us. This was the reason. The hour had come. And though this is not the last prayer that Jesus will pray even before he dies in just a few hours, this prayer is is different in that it is the the accomplishment of what he has set out to do. His his priestly, his high priestly work is evident here in this prayer. So this morning we just kind of want to introduce this and just look at that first part of the first verse really. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. And that's really what we just want to look at here. um, That Jesus, the prayer of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is praying. Now Jesus was a man of prayer. Jesus prayed without ceasing. He He was in constant communion with his Father. If everyone uh, did or could pray without ceasing. It was the Lord Jesus. You see him all through the scriptures, praying and offering prayer um, at different times. And sometimes we hear his prayers, but more often than not, we, we hear about him praying. There are prayers, of course, that that we read, like in Luke 10, um, 21, he says, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent." and had revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is, but the Father, and the Father is who the Son is, and he whom the Son will reveal. So there's the instance where he audibly prayed and and prayed where other people could hear them, um, Just this this short prayer. But it wasn't that Jesus always just had short prayers. Sometimes um, he prayed for a great while, Mark chapter number 1 and verse 35. Um, Notice what it says here. In the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there he prayed. So, a good long while before the sun came up. Jesus arose. and Not because he had to get to work on time, and not because he had an appointment with men, but he arose very early in the morning. Why did he do that? Well, if you read um, a little bit, a few verses back, he heals Peter's wife in verse 32. And it said that even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered them, not the devils to speak, because they knew him. So there he was, all day, healing the sick. People were beating the doors down to talk to Jesus. Well after the sun set, All this happened after the sun had set. So it begins to get dark. They look outside. The house is surrounded with with people possessed with devils and people sick, people crippled. Knocking on the door, Jesus, help us. Jesus, heal us. Jesus, save us. And so, well into the evening, we find the Lord working. And so, what's He do? few hours later, maybe, maybe he didn't even get much sleep in his flesh. What did he do? He got up, and he went out, and he prayed. He found a solitary place, and there he prayed with, and communed with his father. He was, no doubt, in the flesh, exhausted, no doubt, um, wore out from the work, no doubt, um, in his flesh dealing with all those who were hurting and had these needs. I mean, how could you not have compassion on people and if you just walk through and see people weeping and crying and possessed with devils and being afflicted, how could you not um, have compassion on those people and, and, and and see them and, well, what's he do? He goes and he prays. He communes with his Father. He leaves all those who were sick and goes to pray because that was the necessary thing to do. He must pray to his Father. You see other times where Jesus, before he was about to to embark on on some new avenue, he would pray in Luke chapter number 6 and verse number 12. Right before he selected his apostles, So he had many disciples that followed him. But in Luke chapter number 6, in verse number 12, it says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve of whom he had named apostles. So Jesus He's going to, of these disciples, of these baptized believers that John had baptized, he's going to choose 12. And Paul says that he set the apostles in the church first. And so I believe here is the the foundation of of his his church. And he chooses these 12 men to be apostles. He has called them out to be his, his ambassadors, if you will, uh, to this world, and before he chooses those twelve, what does he do? Does he put names in a hat? Does he go and just says, well the uh, my father, my God is sovereign, the God is sovereign over all, And no the, Jesus prays and he prays no doubt for these men. He prays no doubt for his church, but we don't don't really have what he prays about. But we do know that all through the night he was awake and he was praying that his heart was with his Father and his heart was consumed with the glory of his Father and the work that God has called him to do. So twice now we see that Jesus spent the night in prayer because he was consumed with the, the glory of God and the work that he has been called to do. The Old Testament said that he would be a healer, that he would come and heal men in, in, of various diseases, that he would be the Savior, be the Redeemer. And now here is the, the head of his church, he prays. Hebrews 5.7 um, tells us that he was a man of prayer, um, also just a man of sorrows. Man of sorrows, um, and so it wasn't just a very cold, stern um, attitude in his prayer, but it says, um, speaking of our Lord Jesus, well, let's look in verse number six. He says also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So here it's talking about the priestly work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And probably the prayers, the next prayer that we read of, um, there in the Garden of Gethsemane, to which Jesus is, is heading after John chapter 17. But, but here we see in the days of his flesh it was Jesus who offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears that we, we see now some of the as we say, the, the, the inner life of Christ here. That he was pouring out his heart unto the Father. And so, we don't come to John 17 hearing some stuffy, Puritanical-type prayer that, not that the Puritans didn't pray, but just in the colloquial sense of that, that just some stuffy, uh, formal prayer. But one who had come to do the work of God and with strong crying and tears with with love for God the Father for with love for his people love for his apostles, love for his church love for his people of all ages that he came to die for the hour had come where the priest after the order of Melchizedek would would come to do the work of that great high priest and not to offer the Blood of bulls and goats, but to come to offer himself. And not one sacrifice this year and another the next, as the priests of the Levites did, but this one time offering of himself once and for all and forever. Not just to cover up sins, but to pay for them. Christ comes to the Father and and prays this, this high priestly prayer. It says that he prayed to his Father and he lifted up his eyes towards heaven. John Calvin said, by this act, Christ testifies that his affections of his mind were in heaven, rather, on earth. And so he lifts up his eyes to heaven not because that's where, not, not because God is not upon the earth, but he lifts up his eyes Um, because his affections, his heart, his father, that's where he was, that he had sort of left men behind to come and speak to his father. Uh, John Brown said in his uh, book on this chapter, he said, he didn't turn his eyes towards the holy of holies in the temple, as the Levitical high priest did, but towards heaven itself, the true holy place into which he was soon to enter, to appear in the presence of God for his people. So as Jesus lifts up his eyes towards heaven, as the text tells us, he wasn't doing like the priest did. No, you read in uh, Daniel, what Daniel do? He opened up his windows and prayed towards uh, Jerusalem. Uh, David would, would pray towards that way. Why? Because that's where God had dwelt. That's where his presence was. Um, in Israel in the covenant people with, in the temple where the ark was where he dwelt between the cherubim but Jesus lifts his head towards heaven and his eyes towards heaven uh, to the, to, not to the pattern of the holy things but to the holy things himself the thing that the temple was patterned after he looked towards his father he looked um, towards uh, the holy of holies praying for us I read, um, again, that the priests, as they would pray during this time, would direct their eyes towards the temple or be in the temple directing towards the Holy of Holies, and they would pray for themselves, and they would pray for the priests who were about to do the great work, and then they'd pray for Israel. And... That had just become a sort of a settled pattern at this time, if that's what the priests would do. But um, if that is indeed the case, then we see that Jesus, the true high priest, wasn't going into Herod's temple, the temple made with hands, but he was, he was there looking towards the Holy of Holies. He was looking towards his Father and praying for himself, praying for his men, and praying for all of his people. He lifted up his eyes towards heaven, and he prayed, but what it is is his heart was being lifted up towards God. The glorious thing is we don't need to change where we are for God to hear us. No matter where we are, whether silent or audible, whether alone or amongst a bunch of people, whether in the church house or in our beds, whether in our own bed or a hospital bed, doesn't matter where we are. We don't need to change where we are, but God hears us no matter where we are. Before service we read that when the song of ascent they were or degrees, they were heading towards Jerusalem. Most likely when they sang those songs, they were coming to the place of worship. But Jesus said the time has come now that God would be worshipped in spirit and truth. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to make a a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to pray. We don't have to go to the weeping wall and and pray as if uh, God would, would hear us better there. You don't have to come to the church building to pray. But God, we lift up our hearts unto God. And our God hears us. And it's because the Lord laid down his life Is because his work, beginning here as we see in John 17, as he prays for us, and then he goes and he lays down his life for us, and then he raises for the dead for us. As he died, as he exclaims it is finished and gave up the ghost, the the temple veil was rent in twain. That veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the uh, the the people of God had been opened up and now we may both boldly go to the throne of grace and pray just as Jesus prayed. This is an audible prayer. because He said he lifted up the, his eyes unto heaven and said, he prayed so we can hear him, but this conversation was not to the disciples, but to the Father. He lets us listen in on the conversation. Sometimes people pray, and they don't pray because they're, not, they're praying to people. They're not praying to God. They're just praying so other people can hear them. And you hear this a lot in uh, prayers that are in public, like presidential inaugurations and political events and, and uh, public events and so forth. People will pray. Uh, not to be heard of God generally I'm um, not everybody of course but generally you hear people not praying to God but praying to everybody else um, and they, they will make they say things to make the people happy and what the people want to hear and so forth well Jesus is praying unto the father and he's allowing us to hear but but it is to the father he is he is praying for the father is the recipient of the prayers we see here lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. Father. He's praying to the one he loves. The one to whom he knows. I knew a guy that was fond of telling the story how he was talking to an unbeliever. And this unbeliever uh, didn't believe in the Trinity, of course. Didn't believe that Jesus was God. And he, he tried to get it, pull one over on him and he said, uh, if Jesus is God, then who is he praying to? Well, the man uh, replied back and said, Well, do you ever talk to yourself? And this shut the guy up because he hadn't thought about it. And he hadn't thought about it because it's not really true. But it was, it was a, not a very good answer. He made it seem as if Jesus was just talking to himself. But that's not what the Bible tells us about God. Jesus was not talking to himself. He said, "Father, Father, glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son may glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power over flesh, that He should glorify, or give an eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him." These are personal pronouns talking to two separate, two different people. Jesus was not talking to himself. He was talking to his Father. Jesus is God the Son, and he was praying unto God the Father. It's very important that that we know um, the doctrine of the Trinity. There's some things that you just ought not to try to get uh, innovative with. Probably you shouldn't get innovative with anything in the Scriptures, but... But especially in the Godhead, you shouldn't try to get innovative and and try to think of uh, unique ways of of talking about the Trinity. There are ways that we talk about the Trinity, ways that we talk about God, and and we just believe what the Bible says about God. There's one eternal, infinite being of God. This one eternal, infinite being of God is shared fully and completely by three persons— God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So within the one being of God, there exist three eternal, co-equal, co-eternal persons. There is one being of God, and in that one being of God, there are three eternal, equal persons. So the one being of God, being has existence. That's just having existence, right? Right? You are a human being. I am a human human being. We have existence. The abortion debate that's going on right now all settles on, well, when does a person become a person? Well, they are beings. They have life. And it doesn't matter if they're in their mama's belly or if it doesn't matter if they're laying in their, in their crib. They, they have existence. They have life. They're human beings. And the moment you try to start saying, well, this person isn't uh, a being because they don't have full development or they don't have proper development, Um, you're heading down a dangerous, dangerous path. So that's what being is it is existence. You know, even this pulpit has existence right it, it exists it, it, it is so there, there's a being to it that that's there right but it's not personal. You and I are personal beings. I'm a person. you are a person we are distinct people. I'm a finite being one person when I die there's not going to be another one of me. I, that's it I, I I'm gone but but I but I'm a person and you are a person we are we are not eternal beings I had a beginning you have a beginning we we are beings angels are personal beings they have names they have uh, it, it would seem almost uh, personalities they, they do have they do have names. There are different beings, personal beings. And so there is one God, one eternal being of God. And within that eternal being of God, the one substance of God, um, there are three beings, eternally, truly, equally, undivided. So there is only one God. God. But there are three persons. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then in verse, chapter 4, verse 35, Deuteronomy here, Or unto thee it was shown that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else besides him. There is one God. And this didn't change in the New Testament. There's still only one God. If you look with me in 1 Corinthians 8, So Deuteronomy said there's only one one God. Here, O Israel, one God. Now, First Corinthians 8, verse number 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, that there is none other God but one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There is only one God. For though there, there be that called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom all things are all things, and we in Him, and the one Lord Jesus Christ by whom all things are all things, and we buy him. Paul did not deny that there is one God. Well, notice what he did. He said, "Hero is Deuteronomy. Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord." And then he said, "There is one God, the Father, and one Lord, Jesus Christ." So he's not saying there's many gods, but he said there's only one God. There is no other God but one. But Paul is showing here that there is a unity in the being of God in the three, in the persons. There is one God, the Father, and one Lord Jesus Christ. So you have God in three persons. And so what we have in John chapter 17 is one person praying to the another person. You have God praying, the Son praying to God the Father. And this is what, this is the whole, how the whole gospel of John started out, if you remember, telling us about this one being of God. John chapter 1, verse number 1 says, In the beginning was the word. The beginning when? Before Everything before there was a world, before there was a universe, before there were angels, when there was nothing but the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So here we have the Word. God Himself, the Word, is is the Son. And here we have the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. John tells us there in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This was not the glory reflected of the Father, but this is the Son's own glory, as we'll see later on in this prayer. Not today, but in the message to come. But this was His own glory. The glory of God. And so the Word, the eternal Son, was made flesh, incarnate, and came into this world. And now God the Son is praying to God the Father. So there are not two gods. There is only one God. But it is the person of the Son praying to the person of the Father. It's not one-third of God praying, but it is God the Son praying to God the Father. Jesus is saying, Father, He prays to His Father. See, the Word was made flesh. The Word existed prior to Bethlehem. He existed prior to being conceived in the womb of the Virgin. The Son existed in eternity. The Son is God. The Son was made flesh and dwelt among us. He is the only begotten of the Father. He is is begotten of the Father, but proceeds forth from eternal generation. That means that that he He is... Never had beginning. The only begotten of the Father. And he lived among men, and John beheld his glory. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And so now the Word was made flesh. The Word had left his, the glories of heaven and entered into this world. And he had lived a, a perfect life. And now this, uh, me, now our mediator, our high priest, the God-man, Christ Jesus, prays unto his Father. There's one eternal, infinite being of God, and within this one being there's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this God-man, Jesus Christ, is the one mediator between God and man. So it's not merely a title of Father that he prays for, it's not, but it is the person of the Father. Jesus isn't talk, making an illustration about God, that God is like your father. But really, you and I are illustrations of who God is. That the fact that we are fathers, and, and there's fathers and sons, we all have fathers. God didn't say, well, let me try to explain it to you this way. You have a father. No, it's really the opposite. God is our father and created us, that we might... Uh, be reflection of who he is. We're not reflecting who God is upon him, but but God has reflected Himself, so to speak, um, just just in our earthly relations. To know that He is Father in John seventeen eleven, He is the Holy Father. In verse twenty five, He is the righteous Father. And so Jesus comes and prays into the Father. Why does He do this? Well, because He entered into His creation with a job to do tells us there in the first five verses that he came to finish the work. The work of redemption. He came to save us. He came to redeem us of our sins. And he he has come as our priest, as our mediator, as our sacrifice, as our sin bearer. And he comes to his father and says, Father, I have finished the work you gave me to do. I have finished the task. I I have come to the point, the hour has come, where I lay down my life for my people. It is an amazing prayer. It is an amazing portion of scripture that we read of, of Jesus coming into the presence of his Father and speaking openly and freely. But it's amazing in what he prays for, and how he prays, and how he prays for us. And so, Lord willing, as we continue this uh, look into this prayer, um, I pray that we, we uh, grab hold of who he's praying for and, and how this affects you and how this impacts you as God's people um, here, that the Lord Jesus is you know, praying for you with, with you upon his heart and upon his mind, the work that he set out to do for you. So we, we bless God this morning. Um for the salvation we have in christ right, let's uh